We love you guys. We appreciate you. I'm glad you're here. Uh, please don't forget a flower. We got lots of flowers. So all you ladies get one. Uh, and all you men that like flowers get one because we got a bunch of flowers. Um, I know that there are some mothers who are not going to be able to gather with their... Just go back and grab. <laughs> uh, there are some uh, mothers that aren't going to be able to gather with their family today. You know, their kids would come and pick them up and take them to lunch. So... I hate that that is the case, but anyway, we'll celebrate best we can. All right, we're still in Daniel. Uh, I know sometimes folks take off and uh, do a uh, Mother's Day sermon, but we're going to go on through Daniel. We're in chapter 6 this week, so if you want to take your Bible out and turn to Daniel chapter 6, that's where we'll start. Now, last week, if you recall, and I know we've slept since then, but Daniel had interpreted another dream. And he had been promised the third highest office in the land for a few hours because the king died that very night. And I told you last week that the incoming administration was also going to see what a treasure Daniel is. And so he's still in charge of a lot of things, even though they've had an administrative change. See, Daniel was so wise and so filled with God's spirit that everybody could see that this is somebody they needed in their administration. Why was Daniel so influential? Well, one thing, you know, some of it is God sovereignly put Daniel where he wanted him, when he wanted him, and put him in the place that he wanted him to serve to glorify God. Part of it was Daniel's intelligence. Uh, that's something we really can't change. <laughs> we're given what we're given. And, you know, I used to hang around Brother Mark, and I would feel kind of sheepish and dumb, and then I'd go back over to First Baptist where I worked, and I'd feel better because I'd hang around those guys. But, uh, <laughs> you know, we're just given whatever we're given on the, on the intellect level. But we can do things to make ourselves more influential with the people we want to by just being men of character and women of character. And Daniel was certainly that. His obedience to God and his love for neighbor were evident to everybody around him. They knew that they could trust Daniel. Uh, He had wisdom too. And not only, uh, you know, the wisdom that comes from just innately having a gift of the Spirit, but also the wisdom that comes from studying the Word, living with the Lord, living intimately with the Lord, so that you not only have knowledge, but you have a godly perspective on how to apply that knowledge. So Daniel was somebody that had a lot of influence for a lot of good reasons. God put Daniel in the spotlight numerous times because he wanted to bring glory to himself and he wanted to make his name known in this foreign land. You know, most of the Old Testament, Daniel is working through the Jews in in Jerusalem and Judea and all that area there in Israel and, uh, and the southern kingdom when they divided. But during this time, there was, there was none of that because they had been taken captive. And so he was working through his instrumental people, even in the captivity in Babylon. Now we see throughout the first six chapters of Daniel that God saves his people from martyrdom over and over and over. You know, we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were going to be killed if they didn't bow down. And the king comes to him, and he didn't want to kill him. So he said, guys, let me give you another chance. We'll strike up the band, and you guys bow. And they said, you can save your time. We don't need to because we're not going to bow. Our God can save us. 
And if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow. <laughs> and so uh, that made the king mad, threw him in the fiery furnace. And uh, they had company in there, didn't they? The, the Lord was in there with them to save them from it. Uh, as we'll see in chapter 6, Daniel survives the lion's den. And that made me wonder, you know, I'm like, okay, so why is the Lord saving these guys from martyrdom when so many Christians throughout history have served the Lord by being a martyr? Is it because God, you know, loved Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach more than he loved these other servants? I really don't think so. At that time in Babylon with those people, the best way to honor God and to spread the message of God was to keep those guys alive and preserve them through their trials. Now you say, well, why did martyrs have to suffer unto death many times? I think it's for the same reason. I think that was the best way to honor God in that situation and really the best way to reward those servants. And you, you might say, well, hang on, martyrdom is not a reward, but you've got to keep the perspective that death is not the final say. You know, God can deliver and he can honor himself that way. God can not deliver and honor himself that way. So why does God let faithful servants sometimes die? Well, I think it's what we see in Romans where it says uh, that everything works out for good. I know it doesn't seem that way. But I think the way for them to honor the Lord most is to die that way. In Philippians 1, 20 through 24, Paul points out, his perspective, and it is just that. He says, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul says, Hey, if I live, I'm going to serve the Lord and honor the Lord. If I'm called to die, I'm going to serve the Lord and honor the Lord through that. For, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So we see that servants throughout the ages have been treated uh, in different ways. And it's not because God loved Daniel so much more than he loved some poor martyr who was burned at the stake or who was fed to a den of lions. It's because in that instance, it was the thing that would most honor God and be best for Daniel. So when we face trials uh, and when we look for uh, God to use us, the first thing we need to do is make sure that we honor God by walking in the Spirit. If God thinks you need to be exalted, he will exalt you. Uh, have you ever known a preacher who said, well... Not many of them are willing to say this out loud, at least not among non-staff people. But have you ever known a pastor who just thought he was way too cool to serve in his present church? You know, he said, I'm, I'm just so gifted and so eloquent and so talented that I really need to be in a bigger church. And uh, there is nothing wrong with wanting to minister to more people and have more influence in ministry. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you decide that God doesn't know what he's doing because he's squandering your talents on some ungrateful people <laughs> and too few people, uh, that is exactly when God will not exalt you because you're proud. You know, we just sang that wonderful song, um, Just As I Am, and it says in that chorus that's been added, 
you know, I come desperate. So when people came to Jesus and they were humble and they were desperate, he received them every time. When they came to him and they were proud and they were trying to justify themselves, that's when he would call them vipers and send them away, right? So we see that we are to honor God where we are in whatever position he has put us in by faithfully executing that job and walking in the spirit. Daniel served faithfully wherever he was placed, and God exalted him again and again because he wanted to for his own purposes. Daniel 6, starting in verse 1, it says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. So it looks like government corruption is not a new thing. (laughs) They were having to deal with it here. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps. Why? Here's why. Because an excellent spirit was in him. He was walking with and in the spirit of God. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. And this is spoken by his uh, enemies. So this is amazing. I couldn't get my friends to say this about me, much less my enemies. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the laws of his God. What amazing integrity Daniel had. Now, in our time, in our day and time, in our political climate, what you do if you can't find dirt on somebody is you just make it up, right? (laughs) You make it up and you get on TV and you say everything uh, outrageous that you can think of and people will call that news and take it forward. But in this society, you'd get in a whole lot of trouble if you did that. And we'll see that later on. So they couldn't just make stuff up because that would be harmful to them. So they said, look, we can't find anything wrong with this guy, so we've got to trick him. Now, instead of faithfully executing their job and being exalted by God when he chose, if he chose, what they decided was the only way I can get ahead is to claw down this dude ahead of me, and then I can get ahead. Now, we as ambassadors of Christ really need to have the same reputation that Daniel has. We need to be able to have our enemies and our friends say, look, we can't find any fault in this person. Now, we all have regrets about things. Uh, At least I think we all do. There's nothing we can do to fix past things. But as an ambassador of Christ, we really need to go from now forward making sure that nobody can really bring a charge against us of evil or of misconduct or of selfishness or of embezzlement or any of the things that they wanted to bring up against Daniel but just couldn't find anything. And he is a wonderful role model for us because we really need to have that same integrity so that people will listen to our message like they listen to his. The second thing I want us to see is we as, as believers need to expect and go ahead and accept that being true to God may cost you. Starting in verse 6, Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. 
All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for thirty days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Well, they did lie a little bit there because they said all the high officials of the kingdom think this is a good idea. And of course, Daniel did not and was not part of that group. Now, O king... Establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously." So I want us to notice that it says, when Daniel knew, so ignorance is no excuse, right? He knew what the law was. And then it says, he gave thanks to his God as he had previously done. So he knew he wasn't supposed to, and he said, I'm not changing a thing. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning this injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within thirty days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. I think you saying, Of course I did. You, (laughs) You know I did. You asked me to, I did it. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he had heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, No, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed." Now, we've talked in these first few chapters of Daniel about pride and about how it gets you in a whole lot of trouble. Well, it got this king into trouble, too, because his officials came to him and said, King, man, I think this would be a good thing to unite the people of the empire if we said that, hey, we want to focus on you. We want you to be the only one that we pray for, pray to or ask anything of for the next month. And the king thought, oh, man, these guys, they like me, they want to honor me, and I am pretty awesome. So, yes, I think that's a good idea, right? So they set a trap for him, and the bait was pride, and he jumped right in the trap. And we see that he didn't want to be there because he liked Daniel, he appreciated Daniel, he valued Daniel. They were probably friends. I mean, Daniel was the kind of guy that even in captivity was serving wholeheartedly and was doing everything he could to benefit those whom he served. And so the king is distressed, but he's painted himself into a corner because of his pride. Pride makes you stupid. (laughs) It makes me stupid. These politicians laid their trap and he walked right in. Now what's the deal with Daniel still praying where he could be caught at it? I mean, couldn't he have taken a month off? Couldn't he have at least prayed in such a way that people didn't realize he was praying? Um, You know, I pray when I'm driving sometimes. Uh, I pray while we're singing sometimes. I pray a lot of times when people don't know I'm praying. Why didn't Daniel do that? Well, the, the simple answer is he just had too much integrity. 
He wasn't going to do anything that dishonored God. Because when you do walk in the Spirit, you are very uh, aware of the presence of God. And so, who would have known? You know, would these rulers know that he was still praying? No. I mean, he could have hidden it from them. But he knew that if he did that, he'd be betraying the Lord, and he just was not willing to do that. He was pretty much the perfect citizen and civil servant until there came a conflict between God and government. Now, obviously, I don't mean that he was sinless, but I mean in his outside, in his character uh, that people could observe, he really had no fault. And this gives us a clear understanding of when civil disobedience is okay. Because basically it's never okay unless the government and, the, and God's laws and word are in opposition. You know, when that happens, we need to follow Daniel's example and remain faithful. He didn't have to decide whether this was a good idea. He didn't have to think about what to do. He and his friends that we read about a few chapters ago, there was no debate with them. They said, dishonor God and honor the king, and they, they had already decided, no way, never, not going to do it under any circumstance. Under threat of death and a horrible, torturous death, they don't even have to blink. They say, nope, we are not doing it. Now, we were asked to not meet for a little while, and we didn't meet for a while, but here's why. Uh, had the governor or the president or anybody else said, hey, you guys keep going to the YMCA, you keep doing your civic things, you keep eating in restaurants, but churches, you stop meeting. I would have had a huge problem with that, right? (laughs) And I would have encouraged all of us to uh, observe some civil disobedience, and I would have been here on Sunday morning. But that was not the case. Obviously, they were trying to help prevent hurting other people. So they asked us, for the sake of our neighbor and for the love of neighbor, to quit gathering at all. And so that's why it's a different thing there. And that's why we thought the thing to do would be to agree to that. And I, by the way, I'm thankful for a governor who doesn't think it's his responsibility or even ability to tell a church they can't meet. Um, there are a lot of governors that don't know the limitations of their power, it seems. But where we're going to conflict with this soon, and depending on upcoming elections, maybe very soon, is one of these days it's going to be considered hate speech to preach what's in the Bible. Now, where we see this imminent clash is with the LGBTQ group. Uh, When one day it becomes illegal for me to say that homosexuality is a sin, I'm going to observe civil disobedience because I'm a preacher of the gospel and I'm going to preach the whole word of God. And when it becomes illegal for me to do so, too bad, that's what I'm going to do. Now that may hurt us. They may take away our tax-free status. They, who knows what they'll do. But we got to be like Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and do what we're called to do despite those threats. So we need to pray that that day won't come soon. But what else we need to do is vote so that day won't come soon. Okay? Um, Please take that seriously. We have to pray uh, because God is sovereign and he'll do what he wants to do. But then we don't want to be foolish enough to say, God, would you make me a big old crop this year and sit on the porch and wait for it to happen? We've got to sow the seeds, right? We've got to do the work. So I encourage you to pray that that day won't come soon, and then to vote 
so that that day won't come soon. Our next point is we need to trust that God will deliver you. He will deliver you, and sometimes he'll deliver you without suffering here and now. Do you know whether he'll deliver you that way or not? I I don't know. But I'm talking big picture. One way or the other, he will deliver you. You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, God will deliver us, but even if he doesn't, I'm not going to bow down. Why? Because they knew that if they lived, they could live under the protection and blessing of God. They knew if they died, they would be under the protection and blessing of God because death is just not the end of the story. So I don't know whether the Lord will deliver you from your present trial or not. I don't know if some of these folks that are ill with this virus are going to be okay. We're praying that they will. But I just don't know the Lord's will. But when you stand before your Savior in eternity, you will not regret one second of faithfulness to him, no matter what happens to you here and now. You know, God is able to reward you richly enough that no matter what suffering you're called to here, he can make it all fine. He can make it all better. He can make it all good. And you know, you wonder, I wonder, why do people suffer so much in this life? How could it, what's the point? Um, I think we all wonder that. I had a friend in high school whose dad would go jogging every night. Real thin fella in great shape. I mean, this dude could have run a marathon. And he had an aneurysm. Um, they tried to repair it, didn't work well. And he was pretty much in a vegetative state, although physically he was in a vegetative state, but mentally he wasn't because he could kind of communicate. And so that is pretty much the worst thing that I can imagine, being able to think but not being able to move or take care of yourself at all. And he was in such good shape that he lived for decades like that. And I wondered, what in the world could be the point of that? Well, it's above my pay grade. I don't know. But I do know that he was a believer. And when the Lord calls a believer to suffer, he doesn't, that's not wasted time. If you suffer faithfully for the Lord, that honors the Lord. Now, how that, how that all works out, I don't know. But I do know that God is able to reward those that he calls to suffer. Now, let's see in this case what he did with Daniel. Starting in verse 16, it says, Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Now, we think Daniel was probably in his 80s at this point. And so they didn't want this 80-plus-year-old man to fight off the lions for a while and jump out of the pit. So they put a stone on there to make sure that he couldn't do that. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep sleep fled from him. Then at break of day the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish, The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. So one of them had a restless bad night, and one of them had a real comfortable night. 
I don't think Daniel even got cold. There were these warm, furry lions all around him. (laughs) He had a good and blessed night. There was an angel there. Can you imagine sitting up for hours and conversing with an angel? Daniel had one of the best nights of his life, and the king had a sleepless night. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. So I told you you couldn't just go around making (laughs) making allegations against people. Um, These guys paid with their lives, and unfortunately, in in the king's zeal, their wives and children did too. But these lions weren't... uh, They weren't neutered. These lions weren't changed into kitty cats. They were still lions. And when these people got thrown in, they did what lions do, and they ate them. So God preserved Daniel absolutely miraculously for the sake of Daniel, but also for the sake of so many others who heard this story. Now, when I say that God will deliver you one way or the other, uh, this is not a pie-in-the-sky kind of spiritualization where I want to give an excuse for if God doesn't deliver you, okay? I hear people uh, say sometimes, well, you know, I'll pray for you to get well, but, you know, then they don't really expect you to get well. And I've heard criticism of that, too. And, and let me tell you how I feel about that. I think when we are praying for deliverance, we need to pray without a single doubt that God can deliver No doubting. Now, whether he will or not, I don't know. Because none of us are supposed to live here forever, right? Sometimes sickness takes us away. Sometimes lions eat martyrs, right? We don't know what God's will is, but we can pray knowing what God's ability is. And that is unshakable. That's the part of the faith that we can have absolutely. So when you're asking God to deliver you, how do you do it? Well, I I would... Um, I would pray in complete faith that God can do what he wants to do. And then I would end my prayer with, but not my will, but yours be done, right? I am arguing not that God will deliver you in some kind of metaphorical, spiritual way that you don't want. What I'm saying is that he already has delivered you. Luke twelve four, Jesus tells you, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after, after that, they have nothing more they can do. But I will warn you to whom, whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Now, I know we talked about fearing the Lord some last week. And we said that it's not a cringing fear of a, of a temperamental tyrant. It's rather a respect and awe for a holy God. You know, God saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace. But if you are in Christ, he has already saved you from the fires of hell. God saved Daniel from the ferocious lions. But if you are in Christ, he has saved you already from the infinitely more dangerous wrath of God. If you are in Christ, you've already been delivered from your biggest threat. Will he deliver you from the next threat in this life? I don't know. But I know that he can. So let's bring this close to home. If we say we get a diagnosis of cancer, what are we going to do? Will God deliver us from that? We can't know. 
can he? Absolutely. And that's how we ought to pray. The question is, will he heal you now or will he heal you in eternity? We know he's going to heal you, right? He's going to heal you one place or the other. So if you do not know what God's will is for your deliverance, then how do you pray in faith? Well, like I said, we ask with no doubting, but then we make sure that we let him be sovereign instead of trying to take his job. We don't say, God, here's what you got to do. We say, God, here's what I want you to do, but you're wiser than I am. You're kinder than I am. You know what needs to happen. I'll leave that in your hands. Uh, if it's something like sickness, I would, I would recommend you obey Scripture. I mean, if I get a horrible diagnosis of something, I'm going to come and I'm going to say, let's get some elders together and let's pray over me and anoint me with oil, right? Because the Scripture tells us to do that. So I think we ought to take every precaution. We ought to take medicine. We ought to get the best care we can get. We ought to have people praying for us. We ought to have people anointing us with oil if it's a physical thing. But then, ultimately, we let God be the decider. So the fourth thing I want us to see is we need to pray that God will use us to make his name known to other people. Verse 25 says, Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, languages that dwell in the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. Now, there's a pattern here in these first six chapters. When God does something amazing by one of his servants, the king tells everybody. And the king, this is the most powerful guy in the whole world at this point. And he keeps making these decrees about the greatness of God. And so here he does it again. Verse 26, I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So, this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. The point of life is to give honor to God and to spread the gospel. We all need encouragement to keep that in mind. Uh, Now, I would rather make God's name known and show his faithfulness while I live in peace and prosperity. Wouldn't you? (laughs) Peace and health and prosperity. That's the way I want to do it if I get my choice. But we can do it even in suffering. If the Lord calls us to suffer, we do it in faith. There was a lady in, uh, in Brother Mark's church who was in her 50s. She was in excellent shape. Um, She developed cancer, bad bone cancer. And she suffered with it a lot and died of it. But let me tell you, while she was suffering what she did, she had a Jewish oncologist and she would go to him and she had joy. She didn't have joy about her cancer, but she had joy in spite of her cancer. And she would go to this Jewish doctor and she would share the gospel with this man. And I tell you, there's a different kind of testimony that comes from that than you could possibly have any other way. When you are facing trials like that and pain and suffering and misery, and you come in and you say, let me tell you about my awesome God, and you give your testimony then, it carries weight that it just can't carry when you're not suffering. Now, I don't know if this guy, um, you know, I don't know if he ever became a believer, but I do know that he had an amazing testimony given to him. And I know that she honored God until her last breath. So, we don't want to suffer. 
I don't want to suffer. You don't want to suffer. But if we do, know that it has a purpose. See, that's the difference, guys. Christians suffer. Non-Christians suffer. The difference is we know there's a point to it. Now, we don't understand everything about it. You know, people talk about how there's a beautiful tapestry. But if you take the tapestry and you turn it over, there's no pattern there. It's just random and weird looking and not pretty at all. We kind of see that side. (laughs) The Lord sees the other side. And we won't get that perspective until we meet him and hear from him. So let me encourage you to bless those who are suffering around you and to get the gospel to them and to let them know that our sovereign God controls what they're going through and that he can take it away now or he can take it away later. But if you're in Christ one way or the other, it will be worth it all at some point. Let's pray together. Lord, we love reading your delivery of your servants. Father, I I wish, honestly, that this is how it worked out all the time. Lord, I wish if we were faithful to you, uh, you'd make us, uh, you know, healthy, wealthy, and wise, and, and all that kind of stuff. And Lord, there are a lot of preachers that say that's the way it works. But Father, we know that that is not the case. Uh, We can look at your servant Job, who was blameless and who suffered tremendously. Father, we can look back at martyrs who loved you passionately enough to die for you and realize that, Lord, if that were the end of the story, then that would be a bad ending. But, Father, we know uh, that Jesus told his disciples that you are well able to reward everybody that gives their life in service to you. So, Father, we pray that as we go through, uh, as a nation, a time of suffering physically and financially, that we will realize that, Lord, you have a purpose. Um, We may not always love the purpose, (laughs) but, Father, we can trust you. Uh, We know that you're in control. We know that you have the power to deliver us physically from harm, the power to deliver us financially from ruin. You can take care of us. And Lord, if you call us to some temporary suffering, we know that you can make it worthwhile. So Lord, help us realize that the goal, regardless of what you call us to, is to honor you in that place and to serve you with integrity like your servant Daniel did. Lord, I pray for those today who um, are going to be lonely. Father, I know that there are some folks who are older who have children, who want to be with their children, want to be with their grandchildren, want to be uh, taken out to eat, want to get to visit with them. Father, I pray that you would help us to encourage folks like that, uh, to let them see that, Lord, one of these days, life will get back to normal. And uh, and just have enough uh, compassion to reach out to them. 